No. <laughs> Prayer requests for anyone. The usual. The usual, definitely. Yes. The world is definitely getting crazier. Yeah. And we need to remember. And it's going to get crazier. And it's going to get more crazy. We need to remember Israel. We need to remember our country, our leadership, the president, the vice president, Congress, Senate, mayors, governors, police. Why? Why are they? Sin, stupidity. I know that, but what is their? Human nature. Uh, I, I have no clue what their end game is anymore. I thought I'd figured it out at one time, but then I was Money wrong. Money and power. Yeah. Greed. Yeah. Stupidity. Yeah, not, they just don't read the Bible, do they? No. They need to be saved. They need to be saved. This would not be happening if they were true Christians. I know. A lot of people need to be saved. And let's remember the nation as a whole because we are entering into our next election phase. Yes. And looking at the ones that are running, we're still in trouble. It doesn't matter who gets elected. I have my pick. I have a couple of my picks. But I don't think they've got a chance. But... If they make it to the primaries, if they don't drop out before then, I'll have to decide whom I'm going to vote for. And then it'll come down to the two, and we'll have to decide who of the two, who are the lesser of the two evils. <laughs> no, Weigh the pros and the cons. Yes. Pray about it and let God tell yeah. us. But it's God's will. It is God's will. Yeah. He puts in whom he wants. That's right. So we for should, his reasoning. We should pray before we go vote. And he may tell us to vote for someone that we don't want to vote for. Remember, he told the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. And he went, wait, hold it, what? No, I, I didn't hear that right. He said, no, I want you to marry a harlot. I want you to marry this individual. Uh, wait a minute, God. That goes against everything I think of. And God said, yeah, but my ways are better than your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts, so marry a prostitute. We may be told to vote for someone that we don't agree with, but do it because God's plan is perfect. But make sure it's God that's telling you to vote for him or her because they are several women. Make sure, but then do what God's told us to do, and it'll all work out in the end. It's going to work out all in the end anyhow. Yes, you know, they say that old saying, God spoke it and I believe it and that settles it. Well, take you out of the picture. God spoke it, it's settled. I don't have to believe it or not. I'm not Ripley's, believe it or else. And that's actually the, we say it, we say it, believe it or not. Russia's version of that was Ripley's, believe it or else. And I don't, I've never figured out what the else part was. But I can imagine with Russia's situation. Miss Barbara Evans is on, so she's asking for a prayer for her family. Hey, Barbara. And hey, Barbara. Uh, lots of medical tests to be done. So let's remember Miss Barbara. I saw her uh, actually got to go home last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, for a funeral, and she was there. Got to got to chat with her a little bit, so that was, that was nice to see her up and close and personal. But uh, just remember her. Remember my uh, brother-in-law, Tim Blaylock. His the mom passed away a couple of weeks ago, or a little over a week ago, and that's whose funeral 
visitation I went to. So just remember the Blaylock family. They are struggling. Tim is really struggling. But uh, any others before we go to the Lord? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Father, Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch, Lord. Lord, that you'll stretch forth your hand as only you can. Lord, we may not understand. We probably won't understand what's going on in this world, but we know that you are in charge and you are in control. And we ask, Lord, Lord, that you'll touch and move on each and every request, each and every blessing, each and every uh, need that is needed, Lord. We ask that you'll stretch forth your hand here this day, that you'll anoint my lips, so I endeavor to bring forth your message, that you'll anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. And we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. And Barbara says, hi, everyone. <laughs> I'll, I'll convey messages from her to you. Okay. Uh, we are in Sephaniah, chapter 1, and we'll start with verse 8. That's uh, page 5 of 14, sister. Uh, yes. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I am going to do a shameless plug. On Mondays from my house, we do a Isaiah Bible study. We are in chapter 3 of Isaiah, so you can catch us on Facebook. And after the fact, I put it over on YouTube, or you can go to trinitywordministry.com to that website and, and catch it. But you can't catch it live unless you're on Facebook. But it's interesting. I, I, I asked, I made the mistake of asking my wife what Bible she wanted, or what book she wanted to study next, and she went, Isaiah! And I went, I was hoping for Jude. And she went, why? It's shorter! <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Isaiah's got 66 chapters. We're in chapter 3. Okay, let's get started. Verse 8. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such are as clothed with strange apparel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause there for a second because I saw something from Israel that just really excited me the other day and I want to share with you. There were two Israelis arrested at the Dome of the Rock. And the reason why they were arrested was they was carrying a little lamb, a sheep, for an animal sacrifice. Now, why does that excite me? The Jewish nation knows that, okay, they've never accepted Jesus Christ, so their, their sacrifices are still the animals. At the end days, the temple will be rebuilt, and there will be animal sacrifices again. They carried a lamb to the gate, and they was willing to sacrifice that lamb. The Israeli people are getting ready. They're getting very much ready. And even one of their senators has proposed a, a law that divides the dome or the mount into half. And it's not exactly half-half. Muslims have a third of it, and Israel has two-thirds of it. And the two-thirds that Israel has, according to this law, will be where the temple is rebuilt. That's exciting to me. Yes. And then we see what happened in Russia, and that really just compounded my excitement this weekend. So uh, talking about the sacrifices of the Lord, talking about the sacrifices in the Lord's day, it's coming. It's coming back really fast. 
I don't know that the law will be passed this time, but I can see into the future a little bit, not that I'm a soothsayer or a medium, but I can see where that dome or that that mount is going to be divided. Maybe not two-thirds and a third, but it will be divided, and the temple will be rebuilt. And I've often, I've studied it and looked at it, and I believe that the Dome of the Rock, where what's there now, will be in the outer courts because that's the Gentiles' court, the Gentiles' yard, and the temple will be built basically around, around it. it. So it won't have to be destroyed. It'll just be built around it. That's Robert's opinion. I don't know that that will happen because in the center of the Dome of the Rock is the rock where everybody says is the most holy of holies place. In the, new, in the old temple, the rock is where the Holy of Holies was. There might be a little, I won't say compromise, but there might be some concession made on that. But expect in the near and dear future that the temple will start being built in, in Israel. They say all of the rocks are cut and all of the garments are made. And they have even done um, trial runs, dressed up, marching like they was going to march to the temple. So it's getting exciting what's happening in Israel. But back to our scriptures. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such are clothed with strange apparel. Those that were wealthy and that had it easier than others would be judged. Clothed with strange apparel indicated that the royal family and those that were rich were adopting the clothing fashion of those idolatrous countries around them. Even in our today's world, Often the countries that go through revolution, Iran in the 1970s, for instance, the religious, uh, offered, the religious takers discussed how the people wearing the fashions of the West too much. If you go back to the 1970s and you look at what Iran looked like in, like, say, 1974, 1975, 1978, look at how we're dressed. That's the way they were dressed. Now, not not like this, but how we were dressed in the 70s. That's how they were dressed. And then in 1979, the Shah was deposed, was overthrown, was kicked out, was exiled. And the Ayatollah Khomeini went in and took over. And now the women wear the burkas and the others, and the, I can't pronounce it, but the head gear. They wear that, and the men wear the long tunics and the robes. But back in 1978, they wore jeans and shirts. And their belief, Ayatollah and the religious leaders back then said, the West has too much influence on our culture, and we're going to take over. And the first, one of the first things they changed was the mode of dress so that they would be more traditional Muslims. I'm sorry, I can't understand how the ladies can live and survive in covering head to toe with just a slit for their eyes. And, and looking at it and studying it the other day, I made a joke about it to Lynn, and I got to looking at it a little closer. Traditional, there's mesh. I'm going to say it like this, like pantyhose. Yeah. On the inside of those hoods, if it's traditional, traditional. And that's even covered. It's not just open. 
Now, what we see a lot of times is the open, and that, that's the compromise. But the traditional, the original, had a mesh that went over even the opening of the eyes. How can you live in that garment? I mean, I struggle with short sleeves in the heat. I can't imagine wearing a black cloth from head to toe. And I'm not throwing rocks at them. I'm just, from my situation, I hope none of them ever gets MS because the heat is worse for MS. And those poor ladies, I don't see how they do it. I really don't. But that's another story. I ran in the 70s. They looked like us. They acted like us. They drove cars like us. The ladies even were allowed to go to school. Oh, my gosh. How dare they? The ladies were able to go to to universities and learn. But the religious rulers, the Muslims, religious leaders said, oh, the West has too much influence. Well, God is saying that the other countries here has too much influence on Judah and Jerusalem and Israel as a whole. Now, I've, I've painted a picture where the Western culture overtaken the Iranian culture. It wasn't that bad, okay? It had its moments. But what God is saying is all of this idolatrous beliefs and system is coming into this nation and is corrupting my people. If God convicts you to never wear jeans again, don't wear jeans. If God convicts you to never wear shorts again, don't wear shorts. I'm not here to tell you how to dress. I'm not here to tell the Muslims how to dress. But I'm saying that if the other cultures are coming in and they are in our nation coming in and influencing us negatively and some positive, there are some positive influences, but most of it is negative. If those negative influences are affecting the way we act towards God, we need to get rid of those negative influences. God's saying the negative influences needs to be gotten rid of in his nation. And he's using the clothing as an example. He told the Israelites exactly how to dress, what to wear, and how to wear it. And one of the things that the priest had to wear was um, a linen underneath their garments. And the way that that the reason was because it was moisture wicking, and it would it would remove the moisture from their skin and would not allow them to sweat. And we think, well, that's pretty cool. We wear you know Under Armour shirts and stuff. It's moisture wicking, keeps us cooler. God had that plan thousands of years ago for His people, but here they're wearing the garments of the ungodly. They're wearing the the symbols of the false gods and idols. And God's saying, do away with it. Don't let them influence you to such a point where you forget where you came from. There was a discussion on Facebook the other day about the way the 
Appalachian people talk and how the rest of the world thinks we talk funny. Well, my comment I thought was probably the best I'd ever thought of. We don't talk funny, the rest of y'all do. <laughs> there you go. I mean, come on. And it's true. It is. It's true. But we do have our own dialect. And the Israelites have their own dialect. And they had their own dialect. But the surrounding nations had come in to the point where they were losing their dialect. They were losing their language. They were losing their mode of dress. They were losing their identity. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Amen. Yeah. We are losing our identity because of the external influences in this nation and some internal influences to this nation. We mirror what went on in Israel back 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years ago. We are mirroring what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Most believe that the country's fashion goes that the rest of the country is not far behind. I have to agree with that statement. I wouldn't want to see a Texan dressed like someone from New York. I wouldn't want to see a Tennessean dressed like somebody from California. I wouldn't want to see a North Carolinian dressed like somebody from Michigan. Each one of us has got our own style of dress. Each one of us has got our own way of doing business. You expect Texans to wear cowboy hats and cowboy boots and blue jeans. That's what you expect. Mm -hmm. You expect New Yorkers to the business end to wear the suits and the ties. You expect the Californians to wear the Hawaiian print shirts and the, the khaki shorts or whatever. You expect the Tennesseans to wear business casual, North Carolinians, business casual and business out in public, blue jeans and, you know. We have our own way of doing business. But we are being influenced by others that says, oh, our way is, is out of date. Our way is old-fashioned. So big deal. It was just within the last few years that I quit wearing a suit and a tie to church. And I still find myself going, maybe I should wear my suit and tie. And it's not because I want to impress anybody, but that's the way I was raised. Now, the suit and tie got a little hot for the MS. And that's one of the real reasons I quit wearing it. And it took Lynn sitting me down and talking to me hard You don't need to be wearing it all the time. It's not that I'm trying to impress you. It was just that was the way I was raised. You wore your Sunday best to Sunday Mm -hmm. church. That was a given. When I first started wearing jeans and all to church, it was hard for me because Mm -hmm. you you wore a dress. You wore a dress or a skirt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well... Fortunately, I don't have to wear a skirt or a dress because I'm glad you don't. I have knobby knees, and that's I'm, an image no one needs. Kilts? No, 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 I'm talking about now, now, I have Scottish ancestry, 
So if I ever come in in a kilt, don't be, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I will not wear a kilt, okay? That's an image also. Those, um, that's right, queens. Yeah, no. I love kilts. <laughs> I've got a, well, Leon's got a cousin that wears them. Uh, because he is, he plays, and he plays the bagpipes. Right. He has got a lot of Scottish ancestry. I can't see me doing that. I do want to go to Scotland for a visit because I do have a lot of Scottish ancestry. Probably some Scotlands, some people in Scotland are still my relatives. I would love to go back for a visit. I love bagpipes. I do too, and Amazing Grace on the bagpipes is just one of the best. It's amazing how beautiful that music is. Verse 9. In the same day, also, will I punish all those that leap on the threshold, which fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. Now, you look at that and you go, leap on the threshold. We all know what a threshold is. That's the, the bottom of the door. Where the door opening is, is the threshold. You're going from one floor to another. That's the threshold. So leaping on the threshold. What in the world is he talking about here? Most Bible scholars believe that it comes from the superstition of the Philistines to avoid stepping on the threshold of the door. Now, why in the world would you have that superstition? You have to go back and you have to go back into the into the scriptures of First Samuel to find out why they had that superstition. First Samuel. First Samuel. This comes from their god Dagon. It was broken and fell over the second time. Now the first time when it fell over, it didn't break into pieces. They set it back up. The second time it fell over, it broke into pieces. And it was touching the threshold of the temple. The hands, when they, when the statue fell, the hands broke off and landed on the threshold of the temple's door. Now, why did this statue fall over? That's when Saul had been killed. Saul and Jonathan and his other sons had been killed in the war, and the Philistines now had possession of the Ark of the Covenant. And they took that ark and they set it in their temple of Dagon. And it wasn't for honor of the ark of the or ark of the covenant. It was to degrade the ark of the covenant. They put it in their god's temple, saying, "Our god is stronger than your god. My daddy can beat up your daddy. My god can beat up your god." So the next morning when the Philistines came in, the statue, which had stood there for how no nobody knows how long, it had fallen over. Well, I'm sure they thought, well, it was probably an earthquake, something. So they set it back up on its pedestal. And it wasn't a little statue, they say. Next morning they come in, and it had fallen again off of its pedestal, but this time it had broken. And as I said, its hands... We're on the threshold of the door going into the temple. So the Philistines developed this superstition, don't step on the threshold. I preached a sermon about this years and years and years and years and years and years ago. Even the statue recognized God. And the statue was literally 
trying to get away from the presence of God. It had fallen and it had reached out. Now, I realize that the statue couldn't do this, okay? But if it could, it was reaching out to try to pull itself through the door to get out of God's presence. And God broke its arms off, broke its hands off, and said, you're not going nowhere. You're not as powerful as the Philistines say you are. I am the most powerful. That's why the Philistines would not step on the door. Now God's saying those that leap on the threshold, the Philistines, if they wanted to degrade their God, if they wanted to revolt in their culture, they would step on the threshold. Nah, 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 nah. Little kids walking down the street, they won't step on the crack because it'll break your mother's back, right? Well, a, a kid that gets mad at its mother, what's it going to do? It's going to jump on that crack. Yeah. That's, that's a given. You see kids jumping on crack. That's an angry child because it's trying to hurt its mother. Now, in their mind, that's what they're thinking. They're not physically trying to do it. We all know that it can't be done. But that's what they're... They just want to hurt their parents because they feel like they've been hurt. Okay, it's not malicious. And they don't have a cruel intent, most of them don't. But that's what you see. You see kids jumping on the crack. Now, some of them jump on the crack and then look up at their mama or their daddy and go, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> well, the Philistines would do that. They would jump on the crack. They would jump on the threshold. Ha, 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 nothing happened. What's the strongest place of the building? Is the door. One of the strongest places of the building is the door. So if you're ever in a really bad storm, like an earthquake or a hurricane or whatever, stand in the doorway because it's built to withstand a lot. There's a lot of pressure on the top of a door. So stand in the doorway. But, again, that's why he said those that leap on the threshold. And, you know, we have to go back and we have to look at that and we have to figure out why to understand what the Scriptures are actually telling us. 1 Samuel 5 and 5, it says, Therefore neither the priest of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod unto this day. None of them use that temple any longer. However, this is more likely talking about violently entering a house or even business to rob and commit crime in the facility. If someone was going into a residence or a business violently, they would be moving so quickly and with such force that they would not step on the door's threshold because their momentum would carry them into the building. Either way, God has promised to punish all that go into dwelling or a business to do harm or to break the law. And we think, or let me rephrase that, the individuals that burned the cities in the riots, the individuals that rioted in Charlotte a number of years ago and busted down buildings and broke through buildings, they got by scot-free. Well, no, they didn't. They might have gotten by scot-free from man's eyes, but God's going to hold them accountable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, they can get forgiveness for it. They have to ask. They can get forgiveness for it. But they still have to pay the price. Mm -hmm. We have a price to pay for our stupidity. Yeah. We get forgiveness, but that doesn't mean that we're off scot-free. David got forgiveness for having the affair with Bathsheba and having Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed. David paid the price, though. He got forgiveness, but that child that was born 
died. And you also see from that point on in David's family, it started to deteriorate and erode quite rapidly to the point where one of his own sons, Absalom, tried to overthrow daddy and tried to take daddy off of the throne. There's a price to pay for our stupidity. And that's something a lot of preachers and ministers and teachers don't talk about. You get forgiveness, yes, but there may still be a price to pay. You can quit smoking, but the damage has already been done, and you may get lung cancer from it. You may not, but you may. Is this God punishing us? No. It's not. God allows it to happen, yes. But there's a price to pay for our stupidity. If I go out here on the Highway 16 and I decide to sit down in the middle of the road and play jacks, I'm eventually going to get run over. Somebody will deliberately run over you. But is that their fault? No. That's my fault for going out in the middle of the road. Is that God's fault? No. That's my fault for going out in the middle of the road. Playing Russian roulette. Eventually you're going to lose. Whose fault is that? Yours. Yours. It might be the first car, too. It may be. You never know. The man went out and played, played in the road, and when he got run over, he went to heaven. He said, why'd you let me get run over? God went, why did you play in the road? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> why were you there? That's your fault, though, no? Yeah. And... I have to be cautious with what I'm about to say. Drug addicts, alcoholics, any addict, it's self-inflicted. Yes, it is. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. It's self-inflicted. If you never took that first hit, if you never took that first drink, if you never took that first bet, if you never took that whatever first, you wouldn't be addicted to it. If I had never drank the first Mountain Dew, first of all, I would miss so much joy and pleasure in the world. But I wouldn't be addicted to Mountain Dew. I'd probably be addicted to Coca-Cola or, you know, something else. Some rock gut stuff. Mountain Dew is it's the nectar of the gods. Yes, it is. It is the nectar of the gods. And Danny and I got one today to drink again. The real, the not the diet, but the Well, I drink the diets, but... I say the diet's good. There's probably two out in my wife's vehicle right now waiting on me. No, two diets. That's what she'll stop at the store on her way into church. Mm-hmm. She'll pick up two diets for me and probably a pastry. I'll rush out of here, jump in my vehicle, grab grab them on the way, jump in my vehicle and go see if I can find Mr. Bender for church. Right. And then if he's ready and available, we'll come back to church. If he's not, I'll come back. But that's that's the Sunday morning ritual. That's why I look mm-hmm. at my it's a habit. I'm addicted. I'm I'm be the first to admit. I'm addicted. I'm addicted to chocolate. I like chocolate too. So it shows. I. It yeah. shows. Well food. But the thing and is I love little Debbie If you never took that first bite, if you never took that first sip, if you never took that first smoke, you wouldn't get addicted. So right. it is self inflicted, okay? Mm-hmm. I had a an acquaintance told me that he got in trouble with the law for breaking and entering. And he was breaking and entering and stealing and, and pawning the stolen stuff so that he could support his drug addict. 
drug habit. But it's not his fault. <laughs> Whose fault is it? Well, I smoked that marijuana, but it was laced with uh, PCP. But did you smoke the marijuana? Well, yeah, but I, I didn't lace it. Did you smoke the first marijuana? Well, yeah, but I didn't lace it. Did they hold a gun to your head and make you smoke the marijuana? Well, no, but I didn't lace it. If you hadn't have smoked it, it wouldn't matter. That's right, yeah. If it was laced or not. And he just deer in the headlight. But it's not my fault. It huh. is your fault. Yes, it is. You're the one that did it. Right. We've got this mentality in this world, all over the world. It's not my fault. Somebody, not it's, not it's, it's the environment that I grew up in. It's my mom and my dad. I had a lady tell me one time she was fat because of her parents. Was what? Fat because of her parents. <laughs> How do you figure? Genetics? Oh no, they made me clean off everything off my plate. Oh, I did too. Okay, how's that I your parents? How, no, how's I that didn't. your parents' fault? Well, they made me clean off everything on my plate. You didn't have to do it. You can put less on your plate. You're an adult. Mm-hmm. I said your problem is this instead of this. And the guy that was sitting next to me, he finally just reached over, patted me on the leg, and said, "That'll be enough." I mean, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> my parents made me clean off my plate. Okay. That's my problem. I'm an adult. I'm responsible for my own actions. Yes. If I don't, if I want to lose weight, that means I've got to diet. That means right. that I don't eat certain things, and I don't eat as much of certain things. That's my responsibility. Right. That's up to me. I make a mistake at work. I told one of my managers one time, I said, well, I make mistakes, but you got to admit I never make the same mistake twice because I'm inventing brand new ones each and every day. <laughs> she said, I have to admit that is the truth. Verse 10. It shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that there shall be a noise of a cry from the fish gate. And a howling from the second, and a great crashing from the hills. What is the fish gate? You you go, wow, this is ridiculous. And you know, you read the scriptures, and you go, man. But you read it together. You don't just you, you take this scripture out, or the one we just read and study. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that there shall be a noise of the cry from the fish gate. What God? So that's why we are cautioned, and we always caution you, don't take the verses out of context. Read it as a whole. And you can't study the Bible without studying other parts of the Bible. You have to read everything. Nebuchadnezzar would enter the city of Jerusalem at what they called the fish gate. It was called the fish gate since it was gate closest to the fish market. We do the same thing in today's world. Yeah, you turn at the Blue House. You turn at, at the old uh, Ryan House. You turn. We do the same thing. We give things, names of what it's associated by. So the fish gate was closest to the fish gate or fish market. Nebuchadnezzar enters the fish gate. The entire city of Jerusalem cries out in anguish. Now, this is in the future. Isaiah, or Isaiah, 
Sephaniah is telling what's going to happen when Nebuchadnezzar enters into the city of Jerusalem. As the city falls to the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the hills and the mountains are alive with the sound of music. No, they're alive in and around Jerusalem for the sound of chariots and the army crashing through. In and around Jerusalem, where the enemy's army was coming from and through, was echoing and reverberating the sounds of the enemies, not music. Now, I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar probably used some music, you know, trumpets or whatever. But what he's saying here is, he's coming in that gate over there, and it's going to be loud and noisy, and y'all are going to scream and holler and carry on. And you're going to hear the noise from far off, and it's just going to be horrible. This is what you've done. And a howling from the second, and a great crashing from the hills. The second was a second gate. It's going to come crashing down. We are looking at the future of Judah the future of Israel, the future of Jerusalem. Now at this point in Zephaniah's day, Israel had been split. There's Israel and there's Judah. Judah has the city of Jerusalem in it. But And, and Israel's already fallen, by the way. Nebuchadnezzar's already destroyed them. He's coming for you next. And he will take you. And this is what it's going to be like. Zephaniah is as clear as a bell to those people living in that day. We may not understand it so well because we talk a little different. Our dialect's changed. But when we study the Bible as a whole and we go back and we revert, we, we study what's happened in the previous chapters, in the previous books, and the future, and we also have to drag in some history on occasion, we get a clearer picture. Sephaniah is telling them exactly how their city's going to fall. There was more than one gate entering into Jerusalem. But here's the gate that Nebuchadnezzar is going to use. He's coming through that gate. So you can't take it just out of context because if you do, it just don't make sense. Verse 11, How ye inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down, all that bear silver are cut off. Well, what is Maktesh? Maktesh was a district in Jerusalem that was known for its markets, its stores, its farmer's market, its fish market, its whatever market, the jewelry market, the silver market. This was the store. This was a, basically an open-air, what we would call a super mall. Maktesh was one of our super malls. Or maybe it was an outlet uh, mall like we have nowadays. It's got all kinds of little stores in there. And whatever you want, you went to Maktesh to get it. It will be destroyed as well. The economy of Jerusalem will be destroyed in the attack and captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar. He's coming And the only thing that can stop him is God. They still had a chance at this point to delay it. 
Nebuchadnezzar was coming. They could delay it. But they didn't. Oh, it'll never happen here. Nebuchadnezzar can't come to us. Oh, we're more powerful than that. Does this sound familiar? It will never happen here. They'll never take prayer out of school. Here. They'll never take they'll never take God off of the buildings and out of our lives. Here. I had a lady tell me, oh, they'll never come and get my Bible. It's coming, guys. Yeah, it is. It's coming. Faster and faster. Yeah. It may be until the it may be after the Antichrist gets set up, but they're coming for our Bibles too. Yeah, yeah, they are. Bibles out of hotels, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you go in hotels if you yes. have them in the drawer. They're already taking them out of the drawers. And the Gideons are not allowed to go into colleges and universities and hand out the New Testaments. Now that's happened in the last thirty-seven years. Wow, how do I know it's 37 years? I had a Gideon at the school I attended college in 1983 to 85 hand me a Gideon New Testament. Here you go, son. Read this. I wasn't serving the Lord at the time. I gladly took it, though, because I was a book nut and still am a book nut. I've still got that little New Testament somewhere, but they're not allowed to go. In the last 37 years, they've been denied access to colleges, and certain colleges and certain universities. Not all of them, but some of them. Try to find a Bible at Harvard. Guess what? It was set up for theology, right. the spreading of God's Word. Yes. The first universities, Oxford, Harvard, Cambridge, Yale. Go back and look at the histories of those schools. They were theological based schools. They can't even spell theology on the school campuses anymore. They have no clue. It's important to study and read and witness and testify. It's important to have a solid Bible study because what's going to happen if they do take your Bible away from you? You have to have it. You have to hide it in your heart so that you may not sin against Him. Now you can come over to my house and we'll we'll look through the microscope. I have I have the entire Bible on microscope slide. And I have the microscope to read it. And I don't have a microscope. You can bring yours and we'll read your copy, sister. You can bring yours and we'll read yours. They did make them. I haven't seen them in years, but they're a little about one inch by one inch plastic square. And it's Genesis to Revelation on that marker. I'm not carrying one. If I remember, I'll pick one up and bring it next Sunday and show you. But it's interesting. You, I have looked through the microscope at it and it is Genesis to Revelation wow I was afraid to cure it because I was afraid I'd lose it 
I did now lose. I put it somewhere, and I you, can't find it. <laughs> yeah, same with me. I think I know where one of mine's at. I've got several, but yeah, you know, when they take your Bible, come over to the house. We'll we'll view microscope. Used to be that they would stop you in communist countries, and they would say, "Where are you going?" You'd say, "Well, I'm going to my my elder brother died. I'm going to my father's house." The, the reading of the will, they would let you go. Your elder brother's Jesus. Your father's house is church. The reading of the will is the Bible. We had a lady at our church, the former church, that was from Romania. When she left that country, it was under the Iron Curtain. When she left, she was in the back of a truck covered by canvas. And she got they got to the border. And everybody in the back of that truck prayed, Lord, either let us be invisible or let that guard not care. Guard comes, throws up the canvas, and looks straight at the lady that went to our church. And they stared at each other for what she said seemed to be an eternity, but it was just a few seconds. He dropped the canvas, slapped the back of the truck, and went, drive on, nothing back here. He, she said, I still, to this day, and she's passed on, went to be the Lord. She said, but I don't know if I was invisible or if he just didn't care. you have any questions or comments? We will take up in verse 12 next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity to come into your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll bless the music, the musicians, let it be especially pleasing unto your ears. Lord, that you'll anoint the lips of the messenger, and Lord, as he endeavors to bring forth your message, anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.